Check, check. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here. Uh, I know we got some visitors for the baby dedication and for some of these band members, and I just want to welcome them. And we played about a month ago with these students, and a lot of people asked, who are they? So I'm going to take a second real quick and just tell you who they are. Miss Lila Terrell playing the keys. Jenna Corley doing some vocals. Mr. Landon Rosenberry playing guitar. Tristan Millsaps on the drums. Uh, and Grant Jordan on the violin. And so this first song that we want to do uh, with you guys, not for you guys, because we want you guys to sing with us, it's called Glorious Day. It's a camp song that we sang at camp for probably the past three or four years. And uh, so we thought we would bring a little taste of camp to you. So if you will, join with us as we sing this morning. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I made come time for our baby dedication. I'm going to ask Zach and Indy if they will to come forward on their little baby's age. You guys will just stand right here. If you'll show everybody your child, Zach. Isn't he a beautiful little baby? <laughs> your little baby. I want to read Psalm 130, or 139. It says this. God talking about how every child is a gift from God. Every child is sovereignly brought into this world because of God's plan. And David says this in Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And today, Zach and India are going to make a covenant before you, before their family and friends, and before the Lord to raise Zage up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I'm going to ask you a question. And if it's a desire of your heart, you'll respond by saying, we do or, or we will. In presenting Zage to the Lord, do you promise through God's grace and the help of the church to teach your child the truths of the Christian faith? Do you also promise through prayer, word, and example to bring Zage up in the nurture, discipline, and instruction of our Lord? We will. And also, church, many of you will have Zage either in extended session, nursery, Awana when we open back up, Sunday school, youth, all the way up. And also, as a church, we like to make a covenant with Zach and India and say that we'll do everything that we can uh, as Christians to help Zage come to know the Lord. So I'm going to ask you a question today. You're making a covenant as well. Do you promise to provide spiritual instruction for Zage by giving of your time, talent, and resources to help him come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Do you also promise to pray for Zach and India as they seek to raise Zage in the fear and admonition of the Lord? We do. Thank you very much. We have several things we want to give you, Justin, if you'll give them the little uh, ETBC youth t-shirt, yeah. and he'll be able to wear that eventually. We also have a Bible for him here. I'll give that to you. We have a certificate of dedication that talks about this day. We have the Lamb's Book, and I like to mention this often, always, that this is uh, probably one of the clearest presentations of the gospel. It's a really good book to give to children, but it's a good book for adults as well, so I'll give that to you. And also, this is my personal letter to, to Zage. It's not to be opened by anybody but him. If you get saved when he's 5 or 55, this is his letter, okay? And it talks about this day. It talks about his mom and dad brought him before this church. It talks about how they made a covenant to raise him as best they can, spiritually speaking, and how that we as a church did as well. And it also talks about that today, on this day, that we prayed for his salvation. And that's what we're going to do now. This is not, this dedication does not save, but we're praying that the Lord saves him at a young age. So let's pray for Zage right now. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for this child. Lord, I want to thank you for Zach in India. Lord, I pray that you continue to bless their marriage. And Lord, I pray that you'd help them to be the parents that the Bible tells us to be. I pray that you'd help them to raise this young child in the fear and in admonition of the Lord. And Father, today as a church, and as their parents are praying as well, we pray for his salvation. Lord, we pray that you'd save him at an early age. We pray that you'd use him for your honor and your glory. And I pray that, Lord, he would remember this day in later times, as he reads that letter, that this church loved him so much that they prayed for his salvation. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people say together, amen. Well, thank you guys so much. God bless you. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you. Real quick, before we go into the next couple songs for worship, I just want to say, if you are visiting with us today, you can go outside these doors as you leave, and in the lobby, you're going to find lots of stuff, and there's lots of information about our church and how we can serve you and how you can get plugged in here at East Taylorsville and ways you can grab a hold of the staff during the week and you can chat with us if you have any kind of questions. Also, summer's coming up, and so we've been given the green light for that. So out in the lobby, uh, you'll see a table out there that has pamphlets for kids camp, youth camp, and your, uh, your medical documents that you need to fill out and have those turned in. Uh, next week, also, you're going to see probably uh, a VBS table set up for uh, our VBS for this summer. So uh, if you are planning on doing VBS or serving a VBS, I want to encourage you uh, to sign up as soon as you see that table because the amount of volunteers that we have is going to dictate how we should plan for VBS this summer. So as soon as you see that table, if you don't mind, go ahead and sign up uh, to volunteer for VBS. But right now, go ahead and stand up, take a minute, turn to your neighbor, welcome them, tell them hello. And uh, we'll start shortly.
it's good to see everybody this morning. The house is getting full again. I want to share just a few announcements as far as our church is concerned. I want to thank you for bringing all the food for the Baptist Children Home. And next week is our deadline. But I want to thank you. You brought a lot of food. I can't imagine what it would be like to be hungry. Well, the Baptist Children Home, they provide food, shelter for all these children and all these young adults. And I want to thank you for bringing that. Remember to do that and finish up that next week. Our Sunday school will be starting on May the 2nd. All right, I hope you're excited about that. But I want to remind you, your materials are in your classes and teachers. You can pick that up there. I want you to be much in prayer about Sunday school starting on May the 2nd. I've invited all the teachers to come that morning at 9.15 in the sanctuary. We want to have a time of prayer and bathe our Sunday school in prayer. I believe in prayer. You know, the questions asked Jesus, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you're the son of the living God. Aren't you glad that you know him this morning as Lord and Savior? I want you to join me in prayer and let us pray this morning over this service. Father, we want to thank you that you're the son of the living God. That's who we say you are. And Father, we want to thank you for giving us eternal life. Lord, we want to thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, we want to thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ, our Savior. Lord, that we might know you and walk in that freedom, that we have eternal life. And Father, I pray this morning that you would bless this time. I pray that you'd have the preeminence here through your Holy Spirit. And Father, you'd push back any evil, any darkness that would come against us. And Lord, I pray this morning that, Father, as this service unfolds, I pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, we come to do no less this morning. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us Jesus this morning. And we love you, Father. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
Hey guys, I'm going to ask you to direct your attention to the screen. We have a, a next week we're going to have a fundraiser for a family in our church. Many of you know the story of Joe and Lisa. Some of you don't, but uh, what we're going to do next week is we're going to have a barbecue for them. Uh, we'll do it in the takeout area, so we're not going to set up tables or anything in here because of everything that's going on. We're going to encourage you to give, and I've, I asked Joel this past week if he would to just share a little bit on video about their situation instead of me trying to explain it all to you. So if you'll direct your attention to the screen, we're going to show his video right now. Thank you. Hi, I'm Joel Hudler. just want to give an update on my wife, Lisa, and a lot of the medical problems that she's been facing. I'd like to thank the East Taters of Baptist for all their support, all the support in the beginning, people would bring food and call and check on her. I'd like to thank the leadership here. Thank Jamie, Mark, Kevin, Justin. Anytime I've ever text, called, or anything, these guys have always called me back, and I appreciate it so much. So, Lisa started having health problems last in the last year, last January. Uh, she's not driven or worked since January or since uh, February the seventh of 2020. She started having tremors. She was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis prior to that and was on some medicines and stuff. I and mean, she started having she started having a lot of tremors, uh, a lot of shaking in her hands, left side of her body. So we started going to doctors. Uh, we went to a neurologist and they gave us some medicines and stuff and it just didn't work. So we ended up going to uh, Baptist, to the ER at Baptist, seeing a neurology team there. Uh, they told us to stop the medication, that it wasn't helping her and they thought that she had what's called functional neurological disorder. It mimics so many other things such as MS, Parkinson's, Lou Gehrig's, a lot of other diseases. And it's just as debilitating in some ways it's even more. So the neurological problems, the movement disorders, we started with uh, occupational therapy, physical therapy. We had to use speech therapy, Lisa, basically lost her ability to speak. Had to take her for a lot of speech studies uh, to make sure that she wasn't aspirating. We had uh, lots of other tests done. We had CAT scans done, MRIs done. Uh, Dr. Inman at Family Care was just outstanding. He's helped us so much through all of this. I have taken Lisa physically to well over 100 different doctors, uh, different doctor visits from uh, Taylorsville to Hickory to Charlotte to Winston-Salem. Most recently was at Duke. We've seen the cardiologist there. We've seen the neurologist there. So the journey has been difficult, very difficult. Anyone who has experienced any kind of uh, sicknesses in their families, they understand what I'm talking about. So she was also diagnosed with uh, chronic Lyme's disease. So I went outside of conventional medicine. I contacted a functional neurologist and they run different tests. But prior to that, I had Lisa checked for just every, every blood test I could think of, including Lyme's disease, and it come up negative. They did a urine sample through a uh, functional neurological group and it was sent to a laboratory in Colorado that come back tested that she did have chronic Lyme disease and she had all these pathogens from a tick. So it's hard to get an antibiotic if it doesn't follow CDC guidelines. So the antibodies do not show up in the ELISA test or in the Western Block test. They only showed up in this urine test. But still, the neurologists think that she has functional neurological disorder. So we are now, we have submitted our information to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, and we're waiting to see if we can get in there. So it's been difficult, especially with the pandemic, especially trying to see any kind of specialist. But that's kind of the journey that we've been on, and uh, it's, it's, it's been tough. But I would like to tell my wife that I'm, I'm very, very proud of her. Yeah. Lisa, we're going to get through this, and we will get you better. And I want to thank both my sons, Ryan and Dalton. Uh, they've been very supportive. And I would just like to thank everyone for all the prayers. But that's the thing that we need, we need the most is just is prayers. Just thank you very much.
want to thank Joe and Lisa. I don't know if they're able to be here this morning. Are you guys able to be here? I know because of Joel's work, sometimes he can't be. But thank you guys so much. And next week, what we're going to do is be able to bless this family. Uh, I want to thank our Baptist men for stepping up to do a barbecue. It'll be the first one we've done in probably, I don't know, a year more than, or more than that. Uh, but after the service, of course, what we'll do, you can stay seated till you feel comfortable to go get your takeout food. But please give. Uh, John said this. He said, if you see your brother in need, brother meaning one of us, okay, we're God's children uh, as Christians, and you have the world's good, and you don't help that brother in need, how can the love of God be in you? So next week, I'm just going to ask you to show the love of God to this family. You're not going to give too much. I've talked to Joe about their financial situation. A lot of out of pocket. If you've ever been to specialists and this, that, or the other, you know, so, so they, they need your help. So I'm going to encourage you, if you'll just trust your pastor. Uh, I've known the Huddlers ever since I've been at East Taylorsville. They've been here. And I love them, I trust them, and we're praying for you guys. And next week, I just pray that you'll just bless them. Uh, find, they need your prayers, but they need your financial help. If you'll just trust me on that, okay? But thank you guys once again, and I uh, love you guys. If you have your Bibles, turn to First Samuel chapter 16 and stand with me. The title of the message is, The Lord is with him. Now notice that phrase up there that comes directly from our text. This is what uh, Saul's advisors said about David. Probably, I don't know that he's a teenager. He may be a little bit older, but he may be a teenager. They call him a man, all right? So we know he's probably at least 18. Uh, and they said this. One of the things that they said about David is this. The Lord is with him. One of the greatest compliments you could give anybody else is that God's hand is on him. Notice verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is, skill, who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play, play it with his hands, and when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I've seen a son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite, who is skillful. Notice what they say about him. He's skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey, loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly and became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul, that David would take the harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well. The distressing spirit would depart from him. A lot of things to learn from this passage. You got three points, but a lot of things to learn from this passage. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your inspired and errant word. Father, we thank you for David. Lord, you show us the good and the bad about him. Lord, this is a good part of David's life. And Father, I pray that we would try to emulate his character. Lord, I'm reminded he's a young man. And the things that were said about him, Lord, we should all, male or female, desire to be that type of Christian. And Father, also, I, think, I hope that we'll understand as well that when we disobey you, there are consequences. And this thing that Saul did never left him because he never repented. Help us to be repenters. Help us to be confessors. Help us to be people that can trust you with not only our soul, but our sin and our failures. Lord, that's the difference between David and Saul. David repented. Saul never did. So, Lord, help us to be that repenters today. Lord, only you can cleanse the guilt in our lives. Only you can. Lord, playing a song can't do that. It's temporary. The blood of Jesus is eternal. In his name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, we saw where David was anointed. David really didn't even know why he was anointed. Jesse certainly didn't know why he was anointed. He thought he was probably going to work with, with Samuel uh, as his assistant. But we know that God is always at work behind the scenes. And in this day in David's life, God is at work in the ordinary mundane things to bring David into the king's court. He was a shepherd boy, and he ends up being an armor bearer for a little while and plays the heart. But notice the first point, which is so important. Notice Saul's evil spirit. Notice verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. One of the most tragic statements in all the Bible. When, when Saul was anointed, 
The Bible says in chapter 10 that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, just like it did David here, and I think it's in chapter uh, 13. When, when, what, in the Old Testament times, what happens is this, is that God's Spirit would come upon people. In chapter 10, when it said the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, it doesn't necessarily mean he was saved. Most scholars believe he wasn't. It just meant that God was leading him down the path, and it, as he obeyed God, God would bless him. I like what, what uh, Richard Phillips says. He says, to all appearances... This spiritual dismissal had little effect on the practical affairs of Saul and his kingdom. Notice, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and nobody knew it but Saul. Just Saul's a, Monday was Monday, but Saul woke up without the Spirit of the Lord on him. By all practical purposes, the world didn't know about it. He goes on to say this, God had rejected Saul, but Saul remained king. People today, likewise, tend to think that the spiritual arena has little influence over worldly matters, such things as who is in charge and who's getting ahead in life. But Saul's experience reminds us that the spiritual realm is primary over the material realm and that God's spiritual arrangements will unfailingly determine earthly outcomes. God's rejection of Saul had two immediate results. And the first one was this, the Lord had departed from Saul. In the Old Testament times, the, the Bible indicates that the Holy Spirit would come upon individuals. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Joshua, led by the Spirit, was commissioned to lead Israel after Moses' death. Othaniel was empowered by the Spirit to judge God's people and lead them to war. The Bible says in Judges 3, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Spirit of the Lord came mildly upon Samson. Everybody thinks Samson was this big, strong guy, and he just went around. No, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. And then he done these great feats. Okay, Only when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. So here, God removes his spirit from Saul. This was David's great fear when he sinned with Bathsheba. Listen to what he says in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Saul never prayed that his entire life. He died without praying that. God removed his spirit. One scholar says, No longer blessed with God's supernatural equipping, Saul would now have to face his challenges in his own strength. There's no greater blessing than the Holy Spirit. No greater blessing. Nothing can replace the blessings and the power of God's Holy Spirit. One, one man said this, We may like everything else yet be filled with, with the joy of God because we have the Spirit. Paul said this in Romans 14, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What is true of an individual is true of a church or a ministry. Without the Spirit, nothing eternal is accomplished. God's Spirit left Saul forever. Jesus told his disciples, Apart from me, you can do nothing. You mean we do nothing? We, I do a lot of things. Jesus says, apart from me, you'll do nothing that is eternal and nothing that is spiritual. Paul would say this in Philippians 4.13, talking about the Spirit of God. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. MacArthur put it this way, realizing this, we should count the withdrawal of God's Spirit as the worst possible calamity and the presence of God's Spirit as the greatest possible help. Nothing of the world can compete, compensate for the loss of of God's Spirit. So let's read that again. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. He was never the same again. Ever. His life was totally changed from that point. God said, "My hand, because of your disobedience and your unwillingness to repent, every day of your life my Spirit is gone. Not only that, but notice this. And the Lord done this. A distressing spirit from the Lord or an evil spirit, some, some uh, versions say, but the best translation for that distressing spirit is a, is a harmful spirit, which means this, that because of Saul's sin, the consequence was that God sent an evil or harmful spirit to Saul to hurt him. Isn't that amazing? The spirit of the Lord departed and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. This wasn't from Satan. This was from the Lord. See, the Bible says there's a principle that we all face every day. You reap what you sow, whether it's good or bad, right? You reap what you sow. It's just a consequence of life. It's not like God's punishing you if you sin and then you reap what you sow. No. This is different. God says, you are the king. I anointed you. You disobeyed. You will not repent. So I will myself punish you with a spirit from heaven. This is not the TBN Jesus we're talking about. This is the actual biblical Jesus. 
God has the right to judge a man's life, and that's what he's doing. He says that he sent an evil spirit, not an evil spirit, but a harmful spirit. Robert Bergen says it this way. Saul's tortured state was not an accident of nature, nor was it essentially a medical condition. It was a supernatural assault by being sent at the Lord's command. It was brought on by Saul's disobedience and lack of repentance. Saul's repeated rebellion against God's commands had brought not only his rejection as king, but also God's judgment in the form of this heaven-sent spiritual torment. And he goes on to say this, Saul's judgment is a warning of the far greater torment that souls in hell will experience as a result of God's deliberate, and in that case, eternal punishment. Saul was an impressive young man with a lot of talent and a great future and the Spirit of the Lord. And Saul rebelled and never repented and God judged him the rest of his life. Two points to ponder about this first point is this. Don't become a king if you can't handle the responsibility. Don't desire to be the king if you cannot handle the responsibility. David did not desire to be the king. And God desired him to be the king. And God will always equip the called. Alright? I would tell you this. Be careful about praying for that promotion... Because you just might get it. Then what are you going to do? Being the king brings great responsibility. And when you sin as king, it brings great consequences. Don't become a king unless you're the king. Amen? And if God wants you on the throne, he'll put you on the throne. Let God open the doors. That's a great lesson to learn. Not only that, but there's this as well. What we can learn from this point. Just obey God and don't lie to him. And if you disobey God, just repent. So, listen, Saul's advisors realize the torment is from God, but notice what they do. I think it's in verse 16. Notice, verse 15. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Why would your Christian friend say, Why don't you just repent? Just repent. Make things right with God. You know what they say? Let's go find a guy that can play a musical instrument. What great counseling. Be careful who you talk to. When you're struggling in your life. Be careful who you talk to. Be careful where you get your counsel. Imagine if somebody said, Saul, why don't you repent and let God's blessings return to your life? But they said, hey, let's go get a, a guy that can play a musical instrument. I know a guy. He can play a musical instrument. The playing of the harp was widely held in the ancient world to combat evil spirits. And even today, we know the soothing power of soft music. They were relying on culture to fix Saul. One scholar goes on to say this, Yet Saul's true problem was his sin against the Lord. Spiritually sound advice would urge the king to turn to the Lord in sincere and heartfelt repentance. God's grace is always available to anyone who will repent. Zechariah says this, The Lord says to him, Return to me, and I will return to you, is God's rules for sinners suffering misery and judgment brought on by themselves. Biblically-minded counselors seem to have been absent from Saul's court. And his advisors could only think of addressing the psychological symptoms of what was fundamentally a spiritual problem. His psychological symptoms were a spiritual problem. He needed spiritual help. He didn't need to hear music. George Keady writes, Having diagnosed the need for the heart surgery, they proceeded to prescribe a sedative. Instead of repenting, Saul says in verse 17, Bring me the heart. Bring me the harp. Let me get this temporary relief for this problem that I have. But what happens in that is David comes, and we notice David's godly character, point number two. Notice what, what this advisor said about David. We're going to look at a few of these things real quickly. They said, look, he's skillful in playing. We looked last week that David was the greatest musician in Israel's history. He was so well played in Bethlehem that the king's court knew about it at an at, a, at a, his early age. David was the one who said this in one of the Psalms. He made this statement. Therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the heathen and sing praises to your name. David didn't care about the culture. He didn't care about your religion. He says, I'm going to praise my God with music anyway. David played and sang in front of God-fearers and pagans alike. He was not ashamed to sing or play for the glory of God regardless of the context or the culture he was in. He was known for this at a young age. Not only that, but notice this, he was a mighty man of valor. David, 
did not grow up in peaceful times. Do you realize that in Bethlehem, if you study next week's lesson, you have the Philistines? The Philistines are this uh, almost like Vikings of, 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 of yesteryear. They would come in on boats, and then they just take up a little bit of land every chance they got. They were advanced in weaponry, very smart, and what they would do is they would plan attacks. They would raid a home and take all their crops, okay? They, or they would take all the homes or the land or whatever. So David had to always be on his guard uh, as a young man. All his brothers had to as well. Notice what he said to Saul in chapter 17. We'll look at it next week. He said this. When Saul said, who are you? Because Saul had already forgot him. From chapter 16 to chapter 17, Saul had already forgot who David was. Isn't that amazing? In verse 36, David says, your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. David says, I've killed a lion and I've killed a bear at a young age. I'll take that guy to battle any day, won't you? I mean, I'm afraid of dogs. I'm not afraid of my dog. I'm afraid of your dog because your dog's probably crazy. All right. He says this, your servant has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. After David killed Goliath, we'll look at this next week, you know what this young guy did? He took his own sword, cut his head off, and took it to a nearby town and said, this is Goliath. You mess with me and this will happen to you. That's what David did. Mighty man of valor. They said, this, this guy David that you're talking to, he is a warrior, a man of war. He's well known. Richard Phillips says, all of this material picture... All of this material pictures an idealistic, resourceful, and courageous young man, which is exactly what a living faith in the Lord should produce. Listen to this, young people. In their character-forming years, Christian youths should begin to participate in the spiritual warfare of the church by standing up for what is right, praying against what is wrong, and sharing the good news of Jesus with others. Amen? David was a young man. I'm 51. David was probably 18, maybe, at this time. They said, this man is a man of war. And then notice this one. This was the hardest one for me. He was prudent in speech. He tamed his tongue. You know what James says, the Lord's brother? This is so true of all of us. He says, all kind of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. John MacArthur said this. It's amazing when you think about it. Every dangerous animal can eventually be tamed. Ferocious lions can jump through burning hoops. Grizzly bears can ride on horses. Huge elephants can do handstands. We have a remarkable ability to tame ferocious beasts, but we cannot get a hold of our tongues. At this moment in time, David had tamed his tongue so much so that they said he's prudent in speech. They say that the average person speaks close to 700 times a day. They say women speak over 20,000 words a day. Men speak about 7,000. And if y'all leave us alone, we'd speak about 1,000, all right? 20,000 to 7,000. Now, I say that to say this. A lot can go good and a lot can go bad in, in those words, right? Isn't it amazing? Are you prudent in speech in your home? Proverbs says this, Reckless words pierce like a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. See, David healed with music in his mouth at this point in his life. Gentle tongue is a tree of life. It means to restore back to paradise. It means healing. It means like David was speaking and he brought healing to people. And that's what, that's what they knew about him. David at this point in time in his life could control his emotions. James said this, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You know, I oftentimes have people say, hey, will you come talk to them? My uncle, he's drinking, but will you come talk to him? And I'll go, no, nah, I'll talk to him when he's sober. You know why? Because drunk people don't say what they mean. Everybody says, oh, drunk lips bring true, true words. No, they don't. You know how many people surrendered to the Lord to me when they were drinking? Every one of them. <laughs> and then the next day they said, were you at my house? You know, I oftentimes have people call me and say, can you come talk to this young man? Uh, he's in the ER, and I'll say, did you medicate him? Yes, I won't come tonight. I'll talk to him tomorrow. Why? Because you say what you don't mean. Think about when you're in the heat of the moment and say things. You know, when somebody's in the heat of the moment, I never take it to heart. They don't mean it. You say, oh, you bring out the truth. Not really. Not really. Can you handle your emotions? I remember when I was in eighth grade at Sugarloaf, we had some friends over because mom worked on Friday nights. It was like, I don't know, five or six of us. 
and I said, let's roll. What that means is let's wrestle, right? So we go in the bedroom, move the beds out of the way, and we just start wrestling. You got to have your shirt off to wrestle, all right? And I was wrestling my good friend. He's a good buddy of mine. You know, he was my good friend in eighth grade. You know how it is when you're in eighth grade. Ninth grade, he may not even be your friend, but in eighth grade, he's a good friend of mine. So we start out, and you know what he did? He just smacked me. He just smacked me. And in the heat of the moment, I judo-tossed him and put him in this, oh, this headlock right here that put many a truck drivers to sleep at Taylor King. And I had him in this grip, right? But I, I was easy on him because he's my buddy, right? Do you know what I said? I looked at him. God is my witness. I said, are you biting me? <laughs> and he goes, mm-hmm. He was biting me, right? He was biting me with his mouth. I mean, I had teeth marks for three months. God is my, my witness. And in the heat of the moment, you know what I did? I pushed his head back, gave him a one, two, three combo and a bag of chips. And I remember he was laid out. And my brother Jeff looked at me and said, is he dead? And I said, if he is, mom's going to kill us, right? <laughs> and our good Christian friend who was there, okay, because I didn't go to church, I said, we should probably go to bed. So we all go to bed, right? The next day, you know what we did? Hugged each other and played basketball. Did he hold that against me forever? It was the heat of the moment. Husbands and wives, don't take that stuff to heart. Try not to say it, all right? But sometimes people say things in the heat of the moment. They mean it for that moment. They don't mean it. Do you realize how many times your pastor has been cursed in his office? In this one. You know, when, when they built the office, I told Hickory Construction, can you soundproof this office? They laughed at me. I said, no, I'm not laughing. Can you soundproof my office? Why? I said, just soundproof it as best you can. We have noise devices in our office, so you can't really hear when I'm counseling with people. Because people get so in, in the moment, they'll stand up and say, things. If you speak the truth, sometimes people get upset, right? And sometimes when people speak the truth about somebody else, they get upset. Okay, my office is right behind that wall back there, all right? Do I take that to heart? I sure don't. I don't. They're good people. They didn't mean it. It is a heathen moment. Some have apologized and some hadn't. I don't treat them any different. We all have those moments, don't we? Think about social media. You know, with social media, you type it and it's there forever, it's there for you. you. Better be careful what you type. Take it from the king of knowing. Be careful what you type. Nobody understands your intent when you type something. That's why I don't like emailing people or texting you back if it's serious. Call me. Because you can take anything I say the wrong way. All right? I know what I mean. David, though, at this point, look at this. Prudent in speech means this. He didn't have those moments. And he was known for it. Better man than I am. And he was a young man. Uh, teens, how do you speak to your parents? How do you speak to them? In the heat of the moment, what do you say to your parents? David showed respect with his mouth to his mom and dad. Honor your father and your mother with your mouth. He was prudent in speech. He showed respect. One scholar says it's almost like David was an encourager that he spoke courage in the people's lives. Now, later in his life, David was like all of us. You know what he said in the Psalm 39? I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth. Shouldn't we keep some muzzles here? <laughs> I wish I had some in my, in my office. But Proverbs 10 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. And it seems like at this point in David's life, when he spoke, it was just bringing healing to everybody. What a great, godly young man. One man said this, Flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Encourage me and I'll never forgive you. Be prudent in speech. And then he says he was a handsome person. And this really doesn't have a lot to do with his looks. It's how he kept himself. Alright? It gives the idea that his personality was handsome. You know, when, it, when the Bible tells us about Jesus in Isaiah 53, it says he didn't have looks that we were attracted to, but we were attracted to his character and who he was. That was David. Now, he probably was a handsome man. I don't know. But they were attracted to his person. They wanted to be around him. He was, he was a guy you wanted to be around, and he also kept himself. He looked like a person. He wouldn't be at Walmart tonight at 9 o'clock in his pajama pants. Can I get an amen from somebody? He wouldn't leave a shopping cart in a parking uh, section. Amen? He would put it back up. That means that he kept himself well. 
When they looked at him, they said, he is a, he's just a, a well-kept person here. And then they said this, the greatest compliment of all, the Lord is with him. The idea is this, David was not ashamed of his God, regardless of who was in the context. Next week, you'll see when the armies on both sides of the mountain, Goliath comes out and mocks their God. The whole Philistine army is mocking their God, and David says, no, we're not having that. You're not talking about my God like that. You uncircumcised Philistine. You defy the armies of God with your mouth. That's the kind of boldness David had. David was not politically correct. And we're all going to heaven. He understood God's covenant was with Israel. And unless you repented, you would not be born again. That was David. The Lord was with him. And then the final thing we see here is this. Notice. We notice his service. Notice what verse 20 says. Notice how his family shows respect to the king. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David. That was a tremendous expense for a family in those days. I remember when we went to the Philippines, I think Mark ate with June's family on that Sunday, and they fed him chicken. That was their chicken for the month. David's family gave him a goat. That was a tremendous show of respect. And then not only that, notice David's humility... It says, Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread. Now, notice the next verse. It says, David came to Saul. Why? Because Saul asked him to come. David didn't ask to go to Saul. David lived in an obscure place and had an obscure job, but that location did not hinder God from using David in the king's court. The Bible never says that David manipulated his way into the kingdom. David didn't try to pull strings. He just trusted God. One scholar put it this way. God knew when David needed to move from the fields and the exact job he needed in the court. He also knew that David needed 15 years to learn before he'd be ready to be the king. Be careful about manipulating the situation to get a promotion because you just may get it. Scripture would tell you this, written by David. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Let God open the doors. This is what you do. You develop your character, your work ethic, your spiritual gifts, and God elevates in his own time. It was remarkably, one man said, it was by Saul's own command that the man anointed by God to replace him was brought to the royal court. Remember, things always happen for a reason. And notice what it says. David came to Saul. Notice his humility and stood before him. That means what that word means in the Hebrew or those words. And we get it from other verses I'll read to you. It means he just humbly served the king. That's what stood before him means. He humbly served the king. Elijah, when he spoke for the Lord, he says, I speak for the Lord before whom I stand. Elijah's saying this, I serve the Lord. We see this of the tribe of Levi. The Bible says the Lord separated the tribe of Levi, Levi to stand before him. David was primarily called to play the harp when Saul had, a, had an attack, but David didn't wait on an attack to serve. He served in many ways. And then Saul said, I love this man so much, at this moment in time, he's going to be my armor bearer. He's going to carry my lance, my sword, and my shield. Great respect he put in. And then notice what happens in verse 23. David played the harp. One scholar said this about music, and it's so true. Music produces like effects on the mind as good medicine on the body. For years, studies have shown that the right kind of music has the power to relieve mental suffering. Music that contains elements consistent with the fruits of the Spirit, such as goodness, gentleness, and self-control, can communicate these concepts to the listener. Music is ultimately a spiritual issue. These verses communicate that good music has power to relieve physical suffering. The text states that when David would play his harp, the Spirit would depart from Saul. David's music, therefore, was responsible for Saul's relief. And you know what, what that text tells us, too? It was all so temporary. All so temporary. The evil spirit would come on in place, son. The evil spirit would go away. Everything's good. The evil spirit come on in place, son. Okay? See, if your issue is spiritual, music or medicine is not the answer. If your issue is medical, yes. If it's spiritual, no. It's temporary relief. It's temporary. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Notice this verse in Hebrews. Notice. How much more will the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience. You can't clean your conscience. That's, that's the word for guilt. I have guilt in my life, and this pill can't help that. It's temporary. If it's a medical issue, you hear what I'm saying, take it. Thank God for it. Thank God for doctors and medicine, right? If it's spiritual in nature, that's temporary. Saul never repented, and this evil spirit stayed with him for the rest of his life. Only the blood of Christ can cleanse those things. That's why David would go on to say, Lord, forgive me of my secret faults. You see, and Scotty will tell you the truth, when I go to prison, I'll tell guys, hey, God knows what you did, and he knows all your secret stuff too. Men's eyes will be wide open. He knows all about you. Why don't you just be honest with him? He knows what you did, who you did it to, and what you're thinking right now. Do you trust him with your soul? Listen, do you have a guilty conscience? Do you have one? It's okay to admit it to God. You don't got to admit it to your preacher. We've all been there. Saul never, never, instead of looking to the cross, he looked to a harp. What are you looking to today for your salvation? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're here today and you're struggling with guilt, maybe you're a Christian, just give it to Jesus. Be honest with Jesus. Don't be like Saul. Be like David. It even took David about nine months to a year at one point in his life. But he eventually repented. Repent now. Confess that to the Lord and ask Him and Him alone to heal you. If you're here today and you never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He's your only hope for salvation. The resurrected Christ, place your faith and trust in Him. And then Christians, I would encourage you, in the quietness of this moment, pray something like this, God, develop my character. It's never too late. Then pray this, Lord, be with me. Help me to be bold in my faith. Here's another prayer for all of us. Lord, will you muzzle my mouth? And then finish with this, Lord, I will trust you for the next steps of my life. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you so much for the lessons we learn in this short section, which to everyone in Israel looked like just a normal day. But Lord, it's amazing. There are no normal days with you. Father, help us to commit our ways to you and trust you. And Lord, help us to knock down, not to knock down doors that you haven't opened. Lord, help us to be bold in our faith. Help us to be prudent in speech. Lord, help us to share the gospel. Lord, David would be a soul winner today. He was not ashamed of you, regardless of the context or the culture. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said together, amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great Sunday, and hope to see you back here next week. Thank you, and you're dismissed.